So when we think of the uh, time period that we live in today, you know, from the Christian perspective, it's no doubt uh, nearing the return of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And uh, we see it, when we look around, we see the, the globalisation uh, of the world and their leaders you know, kind of coming together for what they call or think is the common good. You know? But a world without God, unfortunately, thinks that it is up to them to solve the problems that we see in the world. And uh, whether it's uh, to fight what they call uh, climate change or to rid the world of all diseases or to end poverty and, and these kinds of things. You know, and all these uh, things, they may seem harmless enough and, and may even be seen as a good thing, and some of them are. You know, and it's not wrong uh, to be mindful of uh, things like you know, pollution and plastic bags and straws and that kind of thing uh, that end up in the ocean and, and uh, kill fish and that, so, that kind of thing. But, you know, because the Lord, he gave man a responsibility uh, in the beginning to look after the earth. In Genesis 1, verse 28, the Lord said to the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, he said, and God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So man does have a responsibility uh, to take care of things. And, uh, but, and it's also not wrong to want to combat disease as well. Uh, you know, we, we know that disease wasn't even in the equation uh, until man sinned. Uh, sickness, disease and even death entered into the world when man sinned. You know, so God is not against doctors. Uh, and there have been you know, many good breakthroughs in suppressing disease. Now, even though disease is going to eventually catch up with, with everyone in the end, uh, Luke, uh, who penned down uh, the gospel, uh, one of the gospel accounts, who wrote, he also wrote the book of Acts, he was a doctor. You know, and it's not wrong to uh, look after the poor. Uh, that's what we should be doing. Uh, and, you know, and the people uh, that are doing tough around us, um, you know, in the book of Acts, one of the things that the Apostle Paul was doing as he was going around with the gospel ministry and establishing churches uh, was gathering a collection uh, for the poor saints in Jerusalem. But one thing uh, that the Christian should know and be aware of uh, is that the world and its system is never going to fix all these problems. You know, it's like kind of putting a, a band-aid on a torn-off arm. It just, it just won't work. You know, the only one that can make things uh, all new uh, is God. And uh, when, when all that we see is done away, God promises a, a new heaven and a new earth. And in Revelation 21, verse 4 to 5, uh, we read, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away, and, the, and he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So all the sorrow and all the, all the decay that we see in the world, it cannot be fixed by man. It cannot be fixed by man. In fact, if we turn to the last book of the Bible, uh, the book of Revelation, uh, it's called the book of Revelation uh, for a reason, uh, because it describes the second coming of Jesus Christ or the, the revealing or the revelation of Jesus Christ and that's still a, a future event 
You know, there's a world system uh, described here in the Bible uh, at the end, and it's totally opposed to the things of God. In Revelation 17, verses 1 to 6, we read, And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying, Come unto me, come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, uh, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-coloured beast, full of names and blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet colour and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. So Babylon uh, in the Bible, it's always depicted as a, as a godless uh, world system of men coming together in, in defiance against the Lord. And it started uh, at, at the Tower of Babel and uh, when they built this big tower trying to make their own uh, way to God. And nothing has changed today. Uh, we see it today, uh, nations and kings coming together. Uh, but it's, God's not in the picture. So we can see here that the kings of the earth here at the end are not coming together for the common good, even as it might appear that they are sometimes. You know, the language they use might uh, sound good. Uh, some of the things they may even do uh, look good. You know, some of the things they may do may even be good, you know, in of themselves. But, you know, we must uh, not be deceived because without God and the only Saviour, Jesus Christ, in the picture, it, it is a false unity. And it doesn't end well, it doesn't end well, just like the Tower of Babel. And we know from the book of Revelation that this uh, world system is going to be governed uh, by the coming Antichrist and his false prophet. Now this system, it's not friendly uh, to Christianity, even if it may appear to be at times. Because uh, look at the uh, next verse in Revelation. And I saw the woman drunken, with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. So we, we must realise that the devil is very cunning and uh, he's a deceiver. And he's even going to use similar, similar language, even things that may appear compelling, you know, things that may appear good and even right at a glance. But if we're not wise, uh, we can be deceived by those things. Uh, the devil, he's been quoting scripture from the very beginning and he's been twisting it to deceive people. The devil said in the garden, uh, right in the beginning to deceive Eve, he said, yea, hath God said. He started off with something God said to deceive. In Genesis 2 verse 16 we read the Lord saying, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. See, the devil is so cunning and he thinks, look, I can, I can quote this and still deceive. So in Genesis 3.1, he says to Eve, now the serpent was more subtle than uh, any beast of the field, which the Lord 
God had made. And he said unto the woman, look at this, he says, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. That's, that's right. God did say of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat, back in chapter 2, verse 16. But the devil conveniently stopped there. Because in Genesis 2.17, the Lord said, But, he says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. See, the devil, he uses a little bit of truth, and he twists it. Or he uses a little bit of truth, and he stops there conveniently, and it leaves out the important part. Now, that's why he's known uh, as the deceiver. We read in Matthew chapter 4, uh, where our, our Lord and Saviour, he was tempted of the devil. In verse uh, 6 of Matthew chapter 4, the devil quoted scripture out of context to try and deceive Jesus. In verse uh, 5 and 6, uh, we read, Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. Look at this, he says, For it is written... He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against the stone. So he's quoting scripture. He even said, for it is written. This is the devil talking. But we know that the best way to combat this is with the whole scriptures. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus said unto him in verse 7, It is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So, so it is today when we see with all these false religions that we see uh, using scripture uh, out of context and isolating verses. You know, their father really is the devil. You know, whether they realise it or not, uh, that's the truth. They, they all have their own Jesus. He's kind of in there somewhere. You know, whether he's a prophet or he's just another angel or he's, or he's just a good man or... You know, or a loving hippie that is just okay with everybody's sin. You know, they, they use similar language. Uh, they even use quotes from the Bible to, to lure in the unsuspecting. You know, but one thing that they all have in common is, is secrecy. You know, they don't tell the unsuspecting what they really believe. You know, they introduce it later on. You know, they use a little bit of truth on their hook to lure him and then whammo, hook, line and sinker. You know, in the coming Antichrist, he's going to be no different. He's going to deceive so many people. You know, he'll use all the tricks of the devil to try and convince people that he is Christ. Now turn to Proverbs chapter 9. Well, Proverbs chapter 8, we'll look at Proverbs chapter 8 first. And we are, uh, we are warned in chapter 9 here in the scriptures to look out for this tactic. This is a tactic that the devil uses. And we'll see here a foolish devilish woman using the same language as wisdom in chapter 9. But we'll, first we'll look at uh, Proverbs chapter 8 first to get a bit of context. Uh, in verse 1 of chapter 8 we see wisdom cry out to man to understand wisdom. Proverbs chapter 8 verse 1 says, Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? Well it does, doesn't it? Nothing is done in secret. What you hear is what you get with the Lord. And it's loud and clear. Look here in verse 2. And she standeth in the top of the high places, by the way, in the places of the paths, not roaming around in the shadows, 
uh, sorry, she standeth here in the top of the high places by the way in the place of the paths. So it's not roaming around in the shadows like the devil. You know, he likes to do things in secret. You know, wisdom, it's even right there in the way in the paths, it says. It's right, right in the front there. You've got to trip over it. It's by the way of the place in the paths. Look at verse 3. It says, She crieth at the gates, at the entry of the city, at the coming in, at the doors. So you, you can't even enter the city without hearing wisdom cry out. Verse 4, it says, Unto you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of man. O ye simple, understand wisdom, and ye fools, be ye of an understanding heart. Hear, for I will speak of excellent things, and the opening of my lips shall be right things. For my mouth shall speak truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth in are in righteousness and there is nothing fraud or perverse in them. But look at this, they are all plain to him that understandeth and right to them that find knowledge. So, you know, for, for them that find knowledge, the word of God, it's going to be straightforward. It's going to be just. It's going to be plain. They won't find uh, it hard to swallow. Uh, it's to, it, that they'll, they'll delight in it. Uh, but look at verse 17. Uh, this is still talking about wisdom. It says, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. And uh, verse 22 and 23, it says, The Lord possessed me, talking about wisdom, in the beginning of his way, before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning or ever the earth was. And uh, it reminds me, uh, of the language describing uh, Jesus in, in 1 John. In 1 John 1 verses 1 and 2, uh, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. Verse 14 of John 1 says, uh, speaking of Jesus, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So it's, you know, uh, we see here in the Proverbs, uh, wisdom personified is Jesus Christ. You know, look at verse uh, 34 and 36 of Proverbs chapter 8. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors, for whoso findeth me, findeth life, and shall obtain favour of the Lord. Well, who's the one that gives life? Who's the one? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father but by me. He says that in John 14, 6. But he that sinneth against me, it says here in verse 36 of Proverbs chapter 8, but he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul, and they that hate me love death. So now I want, to, now I want you to notice the language here in these next verses going into chapter 9. Look at uh, chapter 9, verse 1. Notice the language here. It says, uh, Wisdom hath built into her house. She hath uh, hewn out her seven pillars. She hath killed her beast. She hath mingled her wine. She hath also furnished her table. She hath sent forth her maidens. And she crieth upon the highest place of the cities. Now take note of this verse, verse 4. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither, for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, 
Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine which I have mingled. Forsake the foolish and live and go in the way of understanding. Now it sounds a lot like our Saviour in Matthew chapter 11, doesn't it? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's almost uh, you know, like uh, hearing wisdom is, is hearing Christ. But look at verse 13. I want you to notice the same language. Uh, go down to verse 13. I want you to notice this same language used here in these next verses uh, with a few little tweaks. A foolish woman is clamorous, she is simple, and knoweth nothing. For she sitteth at the door of her house, on a seat in the high places of the city, to call passengers who go right on their ways. But notice what she says here. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither, and as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith unto him, Stolen waters are sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he knoweth not that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of hell. So William MacDonald says about this passage, you know, she, this uh, woman, she sits outside of the, the front door of her uh, house uh, on conspicuous heights of the city, not as a gracious lady, but, uh, but as the shameless harlot that she is. You know, it reminds me of the, the harlot of uh, Revelation chapter 17. You know, with whom the, the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. But look what she says to lure them in in verse 16. Look what she says. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. And as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him. Sounds just like wisdom, doesn't it? That's, that's word for word. Word for word with verse 4. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither, it says in verse 4. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith, saith unto him. But there's a catch. There's always a catch. And here's the difference. Here's the difference. Look at verse 17. Stolen waters are sweet, and bread and eat, eaten in secret is pleasant. William MacDonald says basically she means that illicit intercourse is attractive because it's forbidden and because there is the, the intrigue of secrecy about it. You know, but to, you know, today we have uh, people, you know, they walk around with the, the name of Jesus on their lips, using the same language, winking with their eye to their fellow deceived, you know, with, their, with their secret in their back pocket, that they intend to introduce to people later on. And it makes me sick. It's because of the way that they deceive. Because they use the same language. But look what it does in verse 18. But he knoweth not that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of hell. You know, they get sucked in with a similar language. But they end up in the pits of hell for all eternity because they're not up front with what they believe and, and they're, they're full of secrecy. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 
So the devil, he's, he's always going to try and corrupt the simplicity that is in Christ. And uh, the, the Apostle Paul, uh, he, could, he could already see this happening way back in his missionary journeys. You know, way back when the, when the, when the churches were, were first getting established. You know, you think about it, we live uh, 2,000 years later uh, from when this was written. So just think about how far gone things could be now. And uh, we look at verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and uh, look what he, he writes to the Corinthian church. He says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You know, see, the Apostle Paul, he was totally aware uh, of how this was done, or this is done, you know. And just as the serpent beguiled Eve way back in the, in the garden, and uh, it was done through subtlety, using God's words, however, out of context, uh, leaving out parts, not saying the whole matter, subtle, deceiving, and, and secretive. Because uh, look what you can end up with. Look at verse 4. It says, For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, you might say, another Jesus. Is, is there another Jesus? Well, there's one coming, the Bible calls him the Antichrist, and he's going to deceive many. He's not the Jesus of the Bible. Now we'll have a look at the real Jesus that Paul preaches uh, in a moment. It says here, or if you receive another spirit which you have not received, what? Is there more? Is there another spirit? Yeah, there's lots of spirits out there, but it's not the spirit of Christ. It's not the spirit of God. It's the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist, it's, it's in the world now, the Bible tells us. In 1 John chapter 4, the Bible says, Beloved, in verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. You know, the, the, the phony one back in the day when this was written, and uh, it's still around today, was false teachers claiming that Jesus Christ, you know, the Saviour, Messiah, wasn't actually God manifest in the flesh. You know, uh, verse 2, it says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. So the, when you, the spirit of Antichrist, it's, it's anything. Anything that changes Jesus Christ from who he actually is. Uh, and, and, and what he came to do. But look at uh, the next one, uh, back in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4. Or another gospel which you have not accepted. He says, well, you might well bear with him. You might say, well, is there another gospel? Well, there's plenty of false gospels out there. And they're not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus' name might be in there somewhere, but it's another gospel. And uh, like what, you might say? Well, 
of Jesus on the cross that isn't God manifest in the flesh is another gospel. That's another gospel. What about a Jesus that didn't intend to lay down his life for every sinner that whosoever believes in him might be saved? A Jesus that intended to lay down his life for only, only some for an unknown secret reason turns the gospel of Jesus Christ into another gospel as far as I'm concerned. Paul, he was uh, con concerned with the ministry uh, going pear-shaped by these uh, deceivers. And uh, he says here in the same chapter, in verse 14 and 15 in, of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, and, and no marvel. He says, don't marvel at this. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. This brings us back to our uh, Bible reading and Paul's ministry. And look again with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 We'll look at verse 1. Because this Paul's ministry is a stark contrast to these false ministers. Verse 1. He says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. <coughs> so what ministry is the, is the Apostle Paul talking about here? You know, is he talking about the seeker-sensitive uh, ministry where you, where you find out what pleases people and uh, you, know, you give them the Jesus that, that fits nicely and comfortably uh, with their sin-ridden life? Or is he talking about the ministry of, of joining hands with all the ungodly, uh, worldly pursuits uh, to try and save our planet and give them the Jesus that's just going to accept everyone for how they are and, and gloss over sin and rebellion and all those kinds of things? No. His ministry and the message doesn't change for anybody. It doesn't change. It's simple and it's straightforward and it's good and it's about the love of God to save sinners. You're either going to accept it or you're going to reject it. Turn back to uh, chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians and we'll look at verse 15. Paul writes here, he says, For we are unto, for we are unto God a sweet savour of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savour of death unto death and to the other the savour of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God speak we in Christ. See, it doesn't, the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ, the ministry, it doesn't have to change to suit anybody. It doesn't need to be complicated. There's nothing hidden. It's, it's, it's sincere. Paul, uh, he was conscious of the fact that God was watching everything they did. He says, but, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. See, Paul, he wanted to make sure their ministry was sincere and as plain as possible. You know, the apostle, uh, he said uh, to the Corinthians in his first letter to them, 
Uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, so Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 to 24. Paul, he, you know, he also had a ministry of teaching. You know, which is, which is what he was doing uh, writing these letters to the Corinthians. And, and uh, all of his letters, in fact, uh, that we see uh, have a lot of teaching in them uh, that we see here in the Bible. You know? uh, but, to reach, but to reach the lost, it was Christ crucified, and this is what the ministry uh, centred around. This is what his ministry centred around. Uh, if we look at verse 22, he says, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. I hope you don't see this foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and look at, look at this, and the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. This is the ministry that he's talking about. This is the ministry. Look back at chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll look at verse 2. Oh, verse 1 says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. But verse 2, it says, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Nothing crafty, no secrets, there's nothing coming later on. What you hear and what you see is what you're going to get, not twisting the word of God, but by manifestation of the truth. Speaking it and living out the truth that we speak. This was the ministry. Commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Not hiding anything. What you see is what you get. Look at verse 33 and 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In, look at this, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now it's not that the light of the glorious gospel of Christ is hidden out of view to the lost. Now, the light is there to see, it's just that people don't come to the light because their deeds are evil. You know, Satan, uh, you know, he's known as the god of this world. And uh, he, he's got a limited jurisdiction, but his jurisdiction uh, is this world. And he's used that to blind people's minds with worldly pleasures and lusts. That's what he does. So they don't want to come to the light. Jesus says it well in John chapter 3, verse 19 to 20. Jesus said, and this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Now a good example of this 
You know, as when you're out on, on a street corner and, uh, you know, you're handing out some gospel tracts. And, uh, you know, some people, they, they know what you're about, you know, before they even uh, get to you. You know, they sort of, as they, before they even get to you, they walk past with their hand up and they just like that and they're, they're just saying, no, no, not for me, mate, before you even get a chance with them. And, uh, you know, so it's not that the opportunity isn't there for them. You know, they just don't want to know about it. You know, you're there on the corner being a light, but they love darkness rather than light. You know, the gospel is hid to them because they refuse to come to the light. You know, the Apostle Paul and those with him in the ministry, they had one purpose, and that was to preach Jesus Christ. And that was to be saved by Jesus Christ and to live out Christianity by Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. You know, they were, they were not there uh, to start a, a, a social club. You know, yes, they were there to be servants, but it was a particular service. And it was a service for Jesus' sake. You know, today, unfortunately, we have many churches and, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of serving the community like a rotary club. You know, I'm not knocking these types of organisations. They probably do some good things and, uh, for the community and, and uh, that kind of thing. But you know, that's not the type of ministry and the service uh, Paul is talking about here. You know, he's talking about ministry uh, for Jesus' sake. That's gospel ministry. Look at verse 6. He says, For God who, ha who commanded the light... To shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. So the gospel light, it comes and it shines in our hearts. But for this purpose, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to others. That's what the ministry is about. So the Apostle Paul here, he, he likens the gospel light that uh, shone into their hearts as, as like the, the, the creation account when God said, uh, let there be light, and there was light. Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 2 to 3, the Bible says, and the earth was without form uh, and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And so it is, you know, when the gospel comes, you know, it's a light that shines out of darkness, and it reveals the truth, it reveals the sin and the wickedness in our lives. It reveals the holiness and the magnitude of God, you know, and it reveals the answers to being, to being forgiven by the love of God and through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, dying for lost sinners. It reveals our need to be saved from our sin and our need to cry out to the Lord for forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what the light does. That's what the gospel light does. It shines out of darkness. The Apostle Paul, he, he had a uh, familiarity with, the, uh, with a blinding light when he was converted on the road to Damascus. We turn to uh, Acts chapter 9. You know, if, if there was anyone in darkness, 
It was the Apostle Paul before he was saved. You know, he wasn't just one of these ones that would pass you on the corner, you know, holding up his hand saying, you know, not for me, mate. I, you know, you know he, he would have had you tied up and gagged, whipped, thrown into prison or, or possibly even stoned to death right there in the corner. There was a man named Stephen uh, in the Bible and uh, Paul stood there as everybody put their coats at his feet while he stood there, while they all stoned Stephen to death. This is uh, the kind of man uh, Paul was before he was saved. You know, but the Apostle Paul, he went from darkness to light. He went from a ministry of slaughter to a ministry of the Saviour. Look at verse uh, 1 of Acts chapter 9. And Saul, that's Paul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. So it didn't matter if you were a man or a woman with the Apostle Paul. If you professed Christ, Paul wanted you dead. This is the type of man he was before he was saved. Until he met Christ himself. And then it all changed. It all changed. Look at verse 3. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. So this was, it wasn't just any old light. It was a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Why? You know, we see here that Jesus takes it very personally. You know, Paul would have thought he was just persecuting people. But when you're in Christ, you're, you're in Christ, you're in him. So Jesus takes it personally, what people do to those that are in him. Look at verse 5. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. See, Paul he had an extraordinary conversion. It was unlike anyone else that we see. You know, he's being, being visited by the risen uh, Christ himself uh, in this extraordinary way. Albert Barnes, he says, uh, the expression to kick against the pricks is derived from the action of a stubborn and unyielding ox kicking against the goad. You know, the goad, that's a, being a pointy stick used to, to spur on oxen, and as the ox would injure no one but himself if he'd kick against the goad. But I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice the Apostle Paul's response. See, Paul could have kicked against the pricks like a stubborn ox. He could have done that. But he didn't. Look at verse 6. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will they have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told what, the, what thou must do. So he's trembling and astonished. Imagine thinking of all the things that you've done, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. 
simply for believing in Jesus and then being confronted in this way by Jesus himself, he simply says, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Just complete surrender. Complete surrender. Now, most of the modern Bibles have this verse missing from their Bibles. They also have the Ethiopian eunuch's response in Acts chapter 8. His response to the gospel missing in the Bibles too. Now, I, think the, I think a person's response to the gospel is very important. I don't know why they want to tear that one out. But what a difference. We see, in the, we see in the Apostle Paul towards Christians after his conversion. What a difference. He's totally sold out for the ministry after this. You know, for, for we preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. So 2,000 years later, you know, we must be very careful not to get caught up in the things of this world. We must stay true to the ministry of Jesus Christ. And we must stay true to the simplicity that is in Christ. See, there's an antichrist coming. And he's going to be loved by so many with all of his answers to fix the world's problems. But don't be deceived and get caught up in the spirit of Antichrist because it was already in the world in John's day and without a doubt it's here in our day too. The spirit of Antichrist. In Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 27 to 31, uh, the apostle Paul said to the church leaders in uh, Ephesus uh, when he was leaving them, after he'd spent some time in Ephesus ministering to them, he says to them, in verse 27, he says, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. See, Paul, he doesn't leave anything out. And he makes sure they get the whole counsel of God, how to be saved by the gospel and how to live out the gospel. He gives them the whole counsel. He says, but look at this, in verse 28 he says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he had purchased with his own blood. That's how precious it is. He says, look at this, for I know this. He says that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Look at this, he says, also... Of your own self shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. And he says there in thir verse 31, he says, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. This is the Apostle Paul's heart for them. Three years, night and day, with tears about that this, this, these coming uh, false teachers. You imagine the Apostle Paul looking around today at all the different churches and what he sees going on now. You imagine if this is how he was then, imagine what he, what he would say now. The Lord Jesus must be coming back soon. He must be coming back soon. You know, the, the, the Christian life, it's a battle. 
But you're going to be in the battle no matter what side you're on. You're going to be in the battle. What matters is that you're on the winning side. And the battle can only be won if you're in Christ. So the Bible likens Christians uh, to a soldier. You know, because the battle is against worldliness and all of its pleasures and, and the lusts and, and, and all these things which, which war against our soul. Now Satan, he's always going to be throwing his fiery darts in any way he can. And uh, when, you, when you look at the ministry of the early church in the Bible, it was all about Jesus Christ and the gospel and living it out for Jesus' sake. It doesn't say for their own sake. It says for Jesus' sake. So it is a battle. That's a good battle to be in. Because you're going to be in the battle no matter what side you're on. You're either going to be on the right side of the battle or the wrong side of the battle. If you're not saved here today, your response to the gospel is crucial. Your response to the gospel is crucial. And no wonder the modern Bibles want to try and get rid of the responses. Responses mean that you're responsible to respond. That's what it means. You can either kick against the pricks like, like, a, like the ox, but you're only going to injure yourself. You'll only injure yourself. Or you can accept that you need a saviour and turn to Jesus Christ in full surrender like the Apostle Paul and have your sins forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ and say, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Complete surrender. Let's pray.